This is Jed Flavel and welcome to the Nervous Podcast, where we explore the most complex structure in the universe, the nervous system, aka you. The objective functions, processes, subjective perceptions, experiences, and all those juicy controversial theories in between. And hopefully, after each episode, we will not only have further demystified your experience of reality, but also help you navigate it that little bit easier. So, before those action potentials start firing back down overused pathways, let's create some new ones. We already have a front row seat to the accumulative processes of the nervous system consciousness, our brain's best effort to navigate its environment through combining external stimuli from our senses with that of our internal stimuli, such as the signals from tissues and organs, as well as our thoughts and emotions. The awareness of how you feel right now, or the memory you were last ruminating about. But before we delve into complex theories of subjective experience, like anything, it makes sense for us to strip it right back. For the first series of episodes, we are going to explore the objective processes and functions of the organ, like what the nervous system even is, how our senses work, how memory is stored and recalled, and what our emotions are, the parts that make up the whole. And for the very first episode of the Nervous Podcast, cue dramatic music... Let's go on an epic evolutionary journey. From the precursor of a neuron around 1 billion years ago, to the first animal with a centralized nervous system some 500 million years later. We will also explore the anatomy and processes of a neuron and that of the human nervous system as a whole. By means of nerves, the pathways of the senses are distributed like the roots and fibers of a tree. Alessandro Benedetti, a professor of anatomy and surgery in Italy, 1497. For eons, yeah, okay, maybe not that long, philosophers, naturalists, and religious authorities all had their opinions on how we function and ultimately who we are. Some more accurate than others. Aristotle, back in the 4th century, believed that the nerves were controlled by and originated in the heart which wasn't a bad guess. It is generally where emotional sensations can be felt and for so long was seen as the main organ of the body. Roman physician Galen, six centuries later, concluded that with the nerves emanating from it, the brain was the most important organ of the body. And there were two basic functions of that system, sensation and motion. He further insisted, and rightfully so for that time, that nerves were all hollow, like our arteries, to allow the animal spiritus to circulate around the body. Throughout the 16th and early 17th centuries, this ancient view of an animal spirit existed in harmony with new findings. However, the belief that nerves were hollow and the animal spirit flew through them began to lessen as irrefutable evidence began to paint the more accurate picture we know today. 
Around 1681, the word neurology, coined by Thomas Willis, first appeared to describe the study of neuroanatomy, and it was not until the 18th century did physiologists begin to make the connection between the recent discoveries of electricity and theories of the nervous system. So it is fair to say that we've only had a very basic understanding of the nervous system up until a few centuries ago. To coordinate motor functions and sensory information by transmitting signals, whether that be of the spirit or electrochemical, to and from different parts of the body. To control and maintain its various functions and help it to interact with its environment. It is your body's main and fastest communication network, with your endocrine hormonal system coming in a lot slower at second place. Now before we begin our evolutionary journey, for reference we need to understand the anatomy and function of a neuron independent of the system first. Just from looking at photos, it becomes very clear that not all neurons are the same. Within the spinal cord, there are three types, sensory, motor, and interneurons. Sensory neurons are the nerve cells that are activated by sensory input from the environment. Motor neurons connect to muscles, glands, and organs throughout the body. And as the name suggests, interneurons are the ones in between. They connect and transfer signals between the motor and sensory neurons, forming circuits of various complexity. When we look at neurons in the brain, just how many isn't an easy question to answer. The brain alone has about 80 to 100 billion all up, and each one interconnected to thousands more. There are neurons involved in sensory processing, like those in our visual or auditory cortexes. Others involved in motor processing, like those in our cerebellum or motor cortex. And with any of these sensory or motor regions, there are up to hundreds of other different types of neurons. In fact, researchers are still trying to find a way to classify them all. However, they are similar in structure to other cells in the body that you may be familiar with. They have a body called the soma, which is where the nucleus is found, along with organelles to help them produce the proteins they need to function. Now where neurons do differ from other cells in the body is their specialized parts called dendrites, axons, and synapses. And although there are varying types of neurons, they all do have similar functions. When first trying to envision a neuron, I like to think of a tree, the root system being the dendrites, which receive signals, for example, from other neurons, or for a sensory neuron, from external stimuli, and pass that on to the neuron's body, or soma, which would be the bottom of the trunk in which all the roots connect. These signals are then passed on via a long extension, the axon, or in our case, the trunk of the tree. Here at the other end of the trunk, we have the branches of the tree, which are where the axon terminals exist. At the end of these terminals, or branches, instead of leaves, we have synaptic bulbs, which read the signal and produce neurotransmitters to form a kind of conductive chemical pathway to the dendrites, or roots, of other neurons. And here, the process repeats. Now I bet you were wondering what this signal is and how that works. Don't worry, got you back. 
While at the macro level, humans use words and body language to communicate, on the micro level, neurons use electrical and chemical signals. Just like a large business needs to always relay information down throughout management, one neuron usually receives and synthesizes messages from multiple other neurons before making the decision to send the message on. To put it simply, the transmission of a signal within a neuron is possible because each neuron has a charged membrane, creating a voltage difference between its inside and its outside. Think of it like a negative and positive magnetic propulsion, which can change in response to neurotransmitter molecules released from other neurons, or for a sensory neuron, environmental stimuli either decreasing or increasing the magnitude of the charge in the adjacent neuron, making an action potential even more or less likely to occur. These action potentials then travel within your nervous system to and from your skin, organ, glands, muscles, the brain, generating your internal functions, movements, thoughts, emotions, and ultimately, your consciousness. Now I could spend a whole episode just on this fascinating process and I hope to do so in the future because right now we're about to go way, way back in time. And about there will do. Whoa, I'm a little dizzy. <laughs> Now, we all understand the basics of evolution. Unicellular organisms that contain everything they need to survive within their one cell joined together to create colonies and over time lost their independence to become a multicellular organism. Now, within these multicellular organisms exists all animals, from coral to primates, which all have nervous systems and share conserved features suggesting that they were already present in their last common ancestor. And as life began within our oceans, if we want to know how it evolved, we need to dive deep underneath the water's surface. When you think of a nervous system, is it fair to say that you will think of movement? If so, spot on. In our oceans, we have animals that don't move much to the naked eye, such as coral, and on the other hand, we have animals like plankton, fish and whales that are highly mobile. However, movement isn't innate to only animals. Single-celled organisms are also able to move, and this is how far back we begin. Wow. We've all seen unicellular organisms under a microscope, whether in class or online, and you may have noticed some little hair-like structures, cilia, that help them unconsciously move about. If you haven't, imagine a cylinder-shaped microbe that has little hairs all over its body. Now it is these simple hair-like structures which are center to a leading theory regarding why the first neurons developed, to innovate ciliary swimming and feeding in our ancient ancestors a billion years ago. Obviously, such a simple system is not very precise or efficient, so as animals evolved, they developed more complex coordination and precise signaling. The cilia began to beat together in waves, which can only be orchestrated by a neural system, a very old behavior produced by very old networks. So as they continued to evolve, 
instead of one cilia cell simply diffusing a chemical compound around it for other cells within the organism to pick up on and unconsciously react to, they developed an extension, or an axon, the trunk of the tree, which would reach towards other cells to send the signal directly to it, creating the synapse. Over time, single cilia cells became more interconnected with multiple other cells, therefore more complex neural networks were formed, more complex behaviours developed, and a subdivision into motor and sensory neurons eventually appeared. This system of networks continued to undergo slow change and adaption over hundreds of millions of years. And unlike the central nervous system of today, where specialized neurons are grouped together, the first form of a nervous system in multicellular organisms was a nerve net. Neurons that were spread across the organism's body to simply allow it to respond to physical contact. For a little context, let's look at the first multicellular organism to evolve. Sponges. They lack the nerves and digestive systems seen in other animals, relying on water to flow through their canal system for food and oxygen. Although they do not have a centralized nervous system, they are able to sense external stimuli by using only cilium. The cilium transmits signals across the entire sponge body, resulting in a coordinated response. I want you to now envision an organism with a spherical shape, like an ancient sea urchin. It has developed a concentration of nerves at its circular digestive opening on the bottom, which uses mucus and cilia to trap microparticles for feeding, and the nerve net around the body now has a higher concentration towards the top to further help it detect environmental stimuli. Precursors to motor and sensory neurons. As these organisms continued to evolve, they began to look a little more cylinder-shaped. The digestive opening at the bottom, with the concentration of nerve cells for feeding, became more of a slit-like digestive opening. The nerve net around the body, however more complex, remained the sensory plexus, and the cells at the top of the nerve net became further specialised to control general body physiology, a precursor to a brain. From here, some of the organisms continued to evolve into a more clearly defined cylinder shape. The concentration of specialized nerves around the slit-like digestive opening on the bottom now nearly completely sealed up, creating a semi-centralized nervous system, a nerve cord, except for a small digestive opening and exit at either pole. The nerve net specialized for sensing the external environment remained around the body and the specialized cells at the top had moved more to one pole, further helping to form a brain, which in conjunction with the nerve cord formed the precursor to a centralized nervous system. This evolution continued until the dramatic diversification of animal life, the Cambrian explosion 540 to 500 million years ago occurred, which is when the first free-living flatworms, or planaria, began to arise. These organisms are not only well known to be the first animal to possess a brain, but are most likely to be the ancestor of all invertebrae and vertebrates. Neurons in this organism exhibit typical vertebrate features of multipolar shape, dendrites, a single axon, synapses, the expression of vertebrate-like neural proteins, and relatively slow spontaneously generated electrical activity. 
However, I must note here that thinking about the evolution of, well, anything as linear is not correct. For one, most mutations are not adaptions and if do anything notable, are counterproductive to an organism. To put it into perspective, mutations happen all the time. Within each new cycle of life, a few organisms may have minor mutations that don't necessarily affect or change anything. Over time, these minor mutations, if not hinder an organism, might allow it to adapt better, for example, to a virus, uh, an environmental obstacle, or allow it to consume something extra in its diet. As time continues to pass, we're talking a lot of time, if you zoom out, enough of these tiny mutations begin to be large enough to establish a new species. With the earliest signs of life, microbes, leaving their presence in rocks from about 3.7 billion years ago, to the development of the first neurons 1 billion years ago, to the plethora of life on Earth today. We can literally see how many times this process has occurred. And it is here we arrive back at the modern day human nervous system, where we have the central nervous system, consisting of the brain and spinal cord, and the peripheral nervous system, which is the communication network between the central nervous system and nearly every other part of the body, consisting of bundles of long fibers or axons that branch out from the brain and spinal cord, some up to a meter long. The central nervous system is the processing center of the body, with the brain the headquarters, and can be anatomically divided into three main sections, the forebrain, the midbrain, and hindbrain. The forebrain contains the largest and outermost layer of the brain, that wrinkly cerebral cortex, and smaller structures as we go towards its center. It has a variety of functions, including receiving and processing sensory information, thinking, perceiving, producing and understanding language, and controlling motor functions. The midbrain serves as the vital connection point between the forebrain and the hindbrain. It's the top part of the brain stem, which connects the brain to the spinal cord, and serves important functions in motor movement, particularly movements of the eye and that of auditory and visual processing. The hindbrain, the lowest back portion of the brain, contains the rest of the brainstem and coordinates functions that are fundamental to survival, including respiratory rhythm, motor activity, sleep, and wakefulness. And then we have that vital connection, the spinal cord, sending those action potentials from the brain to and from your peripheral nervous system. To note, there are also 12 cranial nerves which run from the brain directly to other parts of the head, neck and body, such as the vagus nerve, which is responsible for the regulation of internal organ functions like digestion, heart rate and respiratory rate, the opening and closing of blood vessels, and certain life-saving reflex actions such as coughing, sneezing, swallowing and vomiting. Although this connection is direct from the brain, it is considered a part of the peripheral nervous system. Now within this extremely complex highway of connections exists the motor nervous system, which functions outwards from the central nervous system, and the sensory nervous system, which functions towards the central nervous system. 
The sensory nervous system is responsible for processing internal and external stimulus through specialized neurons, for example, in your eyes, tongue, and skin, that have receptor cells where the dandrites or roots of the tree would be, which convert a stimulus into electrical energy or an action potential that flows through the peripheral nervous system towards the spinal cord and brain. When these action potentials reach the brain, they are processed into sensations such as vision, taste, or touch. However, not all of these action potentials reach the brain. Some stop at the spinal cord, allowing for quick reflex actions. Now I'm going to leave this system here as I would like to dedicate an episode to each sense perception specifically in the upcoming months. The motor system has two basic functions, mediating voluntary control of the body via skeletal muscles, defined as the somatic motor system, and regulating involuntary physiological processes such as your organs, glands, respiration, digestion, and sexual arousal, defined as the autonomic motor system. Now this autonomic motor system can be further divided into three anatomically distinct divisions, which I'm sure you've heard a lot about. The sympathetic, parasympathetic, and enteric nervous systems. The enteric nervous system, also known as your second brain, I'm hungry. consists of a mesh-like system of neurons that governs the gastrointestinal tract. It includes several neural circuits that control motor functions, local blood flow, mucosal transport and secretions, and moderates immune and endocrine functions. It is the most complex portion of the peripheral nervous system, able to function independent of the brain and spinal cord, which is pretty cool. Although to function optimally in a healthy organism, of course it does need innovation from the central nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system is your body's built-in alarm. One of its primary functions is our fight-flight response. However, it is also needed to maintain basic homeostasis, or equilibrium, within your body. It is a normally harmonized network of brain structures, nerves, and hormones. But when faced with physical or psychological danger, it is triggered. A flash flood of hormones boosts the body's alertness and heart rate, sending extra blood to the muscles. Breathing quickens, delivering fresh oxygen to the brain, and an infusion of glucose is shot into the bloodstream for a quick energy boost. Besides the obvious benefits in situations that need a lightning response, and also being useful for an energizing boost of mental focus, it can occur so quickly that people often don't even realize it's taken place. However, while the fight-flight response does serve a purpose, if thrown off balance for too long can result in serious complications. Besides maintaining the feeling of constant stress, the extra adrenaline and cortisol not only becomes toxic, but damages blood vessels, increases blood pressure, and promotes a buildup of fat. Not to mention the psychological effects such as anxiety, depression, paranoia, chronic stress. Now, the sympathetic nervous system doesn't de-stress the body once the perceived threat has passed, which is where one of the major functions of the parasympathetic nervous system kicks in. It releases hormones that relax the nervous system directly, inhibiting or slowing many of the high energy functions and encouraging it to rest and digest. 
blood pressure, breathing rate, and hormonal flow return to normal levels as the body once again settles into homeostasis. Both the sympathetic and parasympathetic systems work together to maintain normal body function. Receptors from internal organs of the chest and abdomen collect information from the body and send it up to the brain through the spinal cord and cranial nerves. The hypothalamus, a brain structure important for regulating homeostasis, receives these signals from the body and tunes the activity of the autonomic nervous system in response. It's a delicate balancing act, and just as we tune up our vehicles, uh, computers, mobile phones, now that we're living in an unnatural environment, are more inactive than ever, and digesting anything but real food, to maintain an optimal nervous system more than ever, we need to consciously intervene and maintain the system that literally produces you. And there you have it. I need a glass of water. <laughs> a brief evolutionary journey over a billion years, the anatomy and function of a neuron and how it all relates to the incredible and at times dysfunctional human nervous system. Thank you for tuning in. All the research can be found in the transcript and please don't forget to share this episode on all of your socials. Catch me on Instagram at The Nervous Podcast to let me know your thoughts or just have a good yarn about the universe. And follow this podcast because the next few eps are literally going to blow your mind. Well, synapses. <laughs> As we explore the evolution and functions of the brain specifically and then that of all the senses we know about so far. You might be surprised. But... Until then, look after yourself.